From Alachua, Florida, I'm Amrita Kaley. I'm Krishna Kishore. And I'm Namamrita. Welcome to Nectar Talks from the heart of New Raman Reiki, the largest Hare Krishna community in North America. And the home of thousands of Bhakti Yoga practitioners. In our ongoing series of live interviews, we explore a range of spiritual topics, introducing you to inspirational community members and guest speakers with diverse backgrounds and experience. Like bees searching for nectar, we seek to extract pearls of wisdom from how they live their lives and the spiritual lessons they can impart to us and our listeners. If you're seeking nectar, look no further. All right, let's get started. Hi, Krishna, everyone. Um, thank you so much for joining us for tonight's episode, episode number 20 of Nectar Talks. Tonight, we're so grateful to have with us Mother Achira. Um, Mother Achira, Hare Krishna, how are you doing? Good. <laughs> Mother Achira has really kindly obliged me to take this interview. It was a little bit of a struggle to, to convince her, but she has such um, an amazing place in our community and some incredible stories and realizations that we can learn from. And it's such an honor to be with you. Um, you. you know, I can't help but to make the, the interview a bit personal tonight because you have played such an instrumental role in my Krishna consciousness. You know, yeah. you and Adi Karta Prabhu brought me into to the fold completely and nurtured me. And so um, some of the, the things that I'm going to bring up tonight are deeply embedded in my heart and are very personal to me. And I think so many people in our community share those same sentiments. And so we're going to, um, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Hopefully we can do this in one hour. <laughs> um, but some of the things I wanted to talk about with you tonight are, you know, you're coming to Krishna consciousness story when we spoke recently. And, you know, I learned that you joined when, or you, you met the devotees at 14, you ran away at 15 and you joined officially at 16. So I want to hear some tidbits from that story because it's the coolest. <laughs> um, I'm a bit of a rebel. So <laughs> yes, I love that. Um, and then, you know, being a mother and a grandmother in ISKCON and your service with the cows and the land and the deities at New Raman Reti and how those three things, cows, land, and deity seva are really so interconnected and how you have understanding of that, that many of us don't. And so I want to kind of dive into that a bit too. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> so first I want to please tell us a little bit about um, what was, what was it like for you at home growing up before you met the devotees and that transition into your first introduction? Okay, I was from a Catholic family. Well, my father was very Catholic. His sister was a nun, and 
we went to mass every week and, you know, went to catechism class and all kinds of Bible studies and things. Um, so I always had a strong belief in God and uh, my parents worked very hard. Uh, we lived kind of outside of the suburbs. So we had like an acre and a half of land and, you know, we had a whole you? Missouri outside of St. Louis. Okay. Uh, we, we had, um, um, animals, we had chickens, we had horses, you know, no cows then, <laughs> but, um, so I, it was quite nice. I, I was the oldest of four. I had three brothers younger. So I was kind of like after school, I'd be looking after kids all the time because both mm. my parents worked both of them. Um, Anyway, it was, it was a nice childhood. There was no complaints and it was somewhat religious. I remember when they changed the uh, mass to English, they kept, they kept it um, for a while in the Roman uh, Greek. And so I would go early. I would go early to, um, sorry. Um, mass so that I could get to hear the, the beautiful sound of, you know, the Bible and the mass chanted. And um, so I was very attracted to all that kind of thing. And then um, some hippies moved next door. Sorry. <laughs> That's my son trying to call me. Um, so some hippies moved next door. They, he had just gotten out of the Vietnam War and it was him and his wife. And then a few others kind of joined him. But I started going over there regularly after school and hanging out <laughs> with them, you know. And um, they were all into alternative things. They started doing like using no electricity. So they would have candles and, and stuff in their house. And we started growing food in their backyard, you know, and it, it was quite interesting. <laughs> and actually there was a, quite a few devotees that came from there, except for the two people that started it. But <laughs> funny, but they first introduced me to Krishna consciousness because while I was at my grandparents with my family, uh, they had gone to the Sunday feast. They'd met a devotee and was invited to the temple. They just started a temple. I guess this was about 71, maybe. 77. And um, so when I got home, it was on the news, <laughs> amazingly <laughs> enough. And my mother turned on the TV and she goes, come here and look, Dale and Sandy are on the news. They're in some weird place. You gotta go over and ask them where this place is, what they were doing, right? So I went over there and they said, oh, you got to come next week. Every Sunday they're having a, a free meal and they talk about Krishna. And, you know, it was like, wow, this is amazing. And so then we started going every Sunday and the devotees were for work because they weren't distributing books then. They were um, laying sod on people's lawns. <laughs> so they would come to the neighbor's house to get picked up for work, for the work that they were working. And then they would get dropped off there 
And then the temple would come and pick them up and take them back to the temple. So every day after school, I got to like talk with them and, you know, they would. There was, there was like a, a truckload of devotees coming to and from your neighbor's house every day. <laughs> yes. Okay. It was, it wasn't a whole, there was probably about five, I guess, four or five of them that would, yeah, Brahmacharya. And how far, how far away was the temple? Distance it was about away? an Forty-five minutes to an wow. hour. Wow. Yeah, because it was in the city. Well, at least that's what I can remember it being. It seemed like a long drive. So, how did your mom and dad feel about you hanging out with these people? Um, they didn't seem to really mind. My dad was more concerned than my mom. My mom was interested in what was going on and something different. And, you know, because <laughs> I don't know. St. Louis is a very conservative, kind of straight laced type. And my mother was a bit more interested in different things and wanting to know about other stuff. And, you know, so, I mean, I never even saw the ocean until I was like 13. That's how you you just like, there were rivers and stuff, but it was just very, yeah. (laughs) So did her, did her and we'll get back to, to your story, but did her interest continue? Like, did that follow throughout your Krishna consciousness? Um, Not really because she, she, she was interested, but she was very upset when I left because I was her Mm -hmm. only daughter and the eldest. So it was like when I ran away, you know, that was like, heartbreaking for her now when I look back at it I think oh my god what did I do but at the time all I could think was no I've got to be a devotee I can't stand (laughs) it anymore you know so it was like yeah so So, but she would like when the devotees came she would ask questions like why don't you eat meat why don't you eat eggs you know what what is the meaning behind this behind that you know and even after when I went back to visit them after being in England for quite a while. I I came to visit for like a few weeks and she, she got rid of all the meat out of their house Mm. and she let me offer everything. You know, I think I had two children by then, you know, and she, she was trying to make effort to, she told my father, if you want to eat meat, you have to leave, go buy something outside and eat, you know, don't bring it here. You know, so she was, she was really good like that, you know, but, so you, and so you said it was, you said it was hard for her when you left, when you ran away, what precipitated that? What, what happened and how many different, do we know devotees who there, I can't remember their names, Dale and Sandy, Dale and Sandy, who do we know who came through Dale and Sandy's house? Uh, Chaturatma. Okay. <laughs> um, Pundarik, um, not the one that's living here, but there's a, a, he lives here, but he's older. Um, anyway, he came from there. Um, there's about three ladies, but you never see them. Um, and I can't even remember. Oh, and, uh, Sudharma's husband that died. He was the first one who I went to the temple with. He, um, 
he bought me my first Joppa beads and, you know, it was, he was part of that then as well. So yeah, there was, there was probably about all together, maybe, oh, Dakshinavari. Um, there was probably about seven or eight devotees that came from there. Yeah. Such an interesting Maybe. service that, that, that couple performed, you know, I know. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay. They got a health food store then. And I used to work for it near the city kind of, and the devotees would come there and get grains and things from them. And we would grind flour out of the, and I used to just work there to have fun, you know, like I didn't get paid or anything. It was just, <laughs> and I would make bread to put into there to sell and stuff. And yeah. And you was, were doing all of this, um, like after school or on the weekends, anytime, every time weekends, you usually sometimes after school and definitely during the summer holidays. Wow. Yeah. Was fun. So it reached a certain point where you did you drop out of school? Definitely. As soon as I, well, I went to, I ran away one summer to Detroit because the deity, the temple had closed in St. Louis and everybody had gone to Detroit. So it was like being bereft, right? So um, hmm. I went up to, oh, they left me with Tulsi Davy. My parents thought I was nuts. I made her skirts and I put her outside on top of this pole and I would go around her and pay my obeisances. And <laughs> I thought I had lost the plot or something. <laughs> and anyway, they had left and it was so hard with no devotee association much. I mean, the people were next door, but it wasn't really, you know, she wasn't into Krishna consciousness and, so then um, a friend said, let's go. We'll just hitchhike there to Detroit. So I said, okay. <laughs> so one night I kind of climbed out my window and went and stayed at somebody's house. And then the next, I guess, two days later, we hitchhiked to um, Detroit. It wasn't quite as bad as it is now. It was a little bit. Anyway, we got a few truck rides and, you know, and we went to Detroit and actually Bhagavan was the temple president there and Indrajumna Swami was there. And I remember I was staying there. I was thinking, this is so good. I really love this. And then uh, they asked me, your parents okay with you being here? You know, did they say it was all right? And I said, no, they don't really know where I'm at. So then they had me call my parents. And of course, my mother was like, ah, you've got to come home. You know, we're going to send you a bus ticket. You've got to come home. So then I remember um, Indra Swami drove me to the bus station and said, you know, you got to keep chanting your japa. You know, don't wear mini skirts or tight trousers. You know, you, you keep following the four regulated principles and so then I thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And when I got home, I wouldn't sleep in the bed. I only would sleep on the floor. My parents thought, oh, my God, she's really lost the plot. It was it was bad. I was bad. I was so rebellious. It was, it was sad for my parents. But anyway, and then um, 
Uh, oh, I went to New Vrindavan. I told my parents, oh, I'm just going for um, a friend's grandmother's house for the weekend. And I went with the devotees to New Vrindavan. They did all their um, cornerstones for the different temples that were going to be there. Yeah, yeah. But then they were these uncles of some girl who had run away and joined the temple were looking with the police for this girl at New Vrindavan. And they kept coming and saying, is this her? Is it? <laughs> I was so scared. I was thinking, oh because no, my parents are going to find out what I you did. Were cons- you were conspicuously young, I imagine. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway, then I, I went back home, you know, after that weekend, but I just, I just felt like I had to be a devotee. I just, it was just a real, and then the temple came back to St. Louis. So that was good. I could go to the temple some. And um, finally, (laughs) the temple president, this must've been about 72 was when the New Vrindavan festival was. And then this must have probably been about 73. I was about 16 and I just thought I cannot go to school anymore. It was driving me insane. And so I just said to my parents, I can't take this anymore. I kept having these nightmares of going to school and not knowing where I was at or how to get to a class or what class I was supposed to be in or, you know, and it kept happening. And then I went to school, it was a huge school. And I went to school this one day. It it was the first day of the summer. This was after going to New Vrindavan. And the bell rang and I couldn't find my paper to tell me which class to be in. And then I thought, this is the nightmare coming true. And I just walked (laughs) into the office and I said, I quit. I'm not coming anymore. I quit. And then the principal said, sit down there. I'm calling your mother, right? And my mother came, she was crying. She was freaking out. No, you can't quit. You know. Anyway, he, I said, no, I'm not coming anymore. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm, I'm allowed to do that. I'm 16. And then, so then my mother talked to the principal. Later on, she told me, he said, she'll probably change her mind and she's welcome to come back to school. You know, little did he know. I wow. didn't change my mind. And then... Um, the temple president said, well, is this going too long? No, this is amazing. Okay. Then the temple president there said, you know, maybe you should get married. If you're married, then they can't control you anymore, right? <laughs> so then there was this, this guy from England, not Adikarta, another person, And he'd been coming to the commune next door all the time, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so then him and his friends, they were were just hitchhiking around the place. So yeah, so then the temple person goes, marry him. You can marry him. We'll do a um, garland exchange sacrifice in the park. And then you'll be married, you know, but you'll have to get your mother to sign the marriage certificate thing, because it has to be, if you're 16, you had to have parents written permission, right? Oh God, my poor parents. I mean, I think about it, I feel so bad. 
my mother was like, you don't even know person. How can you marry him? You know, and then my father would go, he looks like a hippie to me. He's not going to do you any good. He won't take care of you. You know, so, so anyway, they ended up signing these papers because they knew I was just running away or, you know, there was no controlling me. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you're born on the 4th of July, you see. Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so then. I feel like he, children children are destined to gosh, torture yeah. their parents in one way or another. I know. <laughs> but you were terrible. torturing them in the name of. It's interesting. I just have to say, because your dad's sister was a nun. So I wonder if, if she had any of this rebelliousness in, in yeah. any sense that, you know, they had some kind of reference point that, you know, she's just, she's just, she's going for it. And, you know, yeah, she wants well, God and there's no stopping her. She sent me that he sent me to the priest of our church to talk some sense into me at one point. Mm. And then I just was telling him all the things I knew, which wasn't a lot, but I was very convinced about what I knew. <laughs> And uh, afterwards, he said to my parents, I think it'll be all right. It's just kind of it's it's not a bad thing. At least it's not like drugs and stuff. And it's about God. But he said, I think, you know, it'll be just a little while. It's just something she's getting into right now. She'll come back. She won't, you know, leave and do anything too strange. So, you know, so then my parents kind of thought, okay, you know, whatever. (laughs) But we can't control her any longer. So they signed the papers and I got married, but I wasn't old enough to give him citizenship. So then he got sent back to England because his visa was finished. And so then he sent uh, my fare to come there like a few months later. So then I went to England, which is how I actually joined, joined to actually live in the temple was at Bhaktivedanta Manor when, when I went there. That was, I don't know, that must have been 73, maybe, the end of 73. Yeah, and that started my real, you know, constant being in the temple and serving and, yeah. Which was good because Srila Prabhupada came there. Mm-hmm. I would have never seen Srila Prabhupada see- in St. Louis, but in, in, London, Srila Prabhupada would come through there when he'd be going to Europe or India or America. That was like a hub for most airlines. So that was good. So that that marriage obviously didn't continue. However, no. because of that marriage, you ended up in a position where you got to meet Srila Prabhupada personally. And take initiation yep. from him personally because you were in England with this English. Exactly. Family. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, it was good. You see how Krishna and makes all arrangements. <laughs> yes, it is amazing. So, I mean, is there anything that you want to to bring up in between the time that you joined in Bhaktivedanta Manor and the time that um, you know, you had your first child and then later on you, your marriage ended up, um, not continuing. And then somehow you met Adi Kartaprabhu. I don't know that story. 
That was arranged by the temple authorities. That was another arrangement. <laughs> I, I trusted okay. it somehow or other. <laughs> I figured Krishna had something in mind. Um, yeah, he was a Sankirtan devotee, and I was a temple devotee, and I had my daughter Rukmini already. And um, Tulsi Das, I don't know if you know him. He lives in New Vrindavan. He does those... Um, Primal Strips. He owns that business. Oh, yes. Yeah, I have yeah. not met him, but I, I have eaten okay. the strips. <laughs> yeah. So he arranged our marriage. He was my Sagaton leader because I was doing book distribution and and some stuff at the temple. And yeah. So then we got married in what year? January 1st, 77, I guess. So what is it like when when you were, and I know that you and Adi Prabhu have had services in India, South Africa, um, North Carolina. Did you in did you raise children in the temple in the ashram? Most what of that, that like yeah. um, different from now. That's for sure. It was it was kind of like. You had the children and you kept doing service and the kids kind of fit in with the service. And then there, we would have some kind of little nursery type thing and the kids would go there. But we traveled, we started the temple in Ireland, I think, um, what was that? 77, I guess, after we got married, we went with another couple to Ireland and we started the temple in Dublin. And um, my second daughter was born there, Pishma. And I was cooking. I was the cook there, mostly. And we did Sankirtan, Harinam, you know, and cooked the feasts for the people coming, you know. And it was nice. It was quite a nice place. And then um, Preetu was sent there, and we were sent to South Africa. So then we went to South Africa. And then um, we stayed there for a little bit. My husband was traveling around, showing the devotees there how to distribute books and going around. I, I was staying um, at the temple. We had a farm there and that was quite nice. That was, and um, I think before that, actually at, right after Ireland, we went to Manchester first and um, I had my, Second, my first son, Kedinath, was born in, no, that must have been right after coming back. From, I get mixed up. When we came back from South Africa the first time, then we went to Chaitanya College, which was in Worcestershire in England. And they had just gotten that place. It was a big um, kind of a mansion, Lord somebody lived there I don't remember who it was but <laughs> it was a huge big place and uh it had its own temple it was a, quite a far up place wow um so my first son was born there at the temple there and um then they asked us to go back again to South Africa so after being there for a while we went back to South Africa and I had my two sons there uh, two more sons there. So five kids all together. 
And we traveled with them all over. It was like, pick up all your stuff and move. And yeah, it was quite a, but it was a whole different kind of lifestyle than, you know, we were just whatever was needed. We were doing, we had a, we had a candle business there. Huh? I was just going to say that that right there is so interesting that, you know, that the, the mood of, of you as a family, and I guess a lot of other devotees was to just follow instructions. Like we need you here and to just pick up everything and go to fill that need. You know, I think it was kind of like, it was like Lord Chaitanya's army, right? Wow, I mean, yeah. Shiller Prabhupada was yeah. using it all to get this movement started here because you look at Malati and Shamsinder, she had this tiny baby and she went all over the world, you know, starting yes. temples. And it was just kind of the mood then. It's so different, like just, you know, settling territories and making temples and, you know, making wow. the <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, and I think it maybe had um, consequences for a lot of our kids because they didn't get raised family, family, like, you know, like my husband did traveling Sangatan practically everywhere we were. So it was almost like a one parent family kind of thing, but we were living in the temple. So it wasn't even like you had a home where you cooked and stuff. It was temple prasadam. And I don't know, it was a whole different type, you know, situation than, so I think in some ways it's so much better now that they can live with their family and have a more stable kind of situation. Um, but then, then there was pluses for that also, you know, that they got to be part of, you know, this movement getting settled and started and they got to see a lot of the world and, you know, yeah, it was anyway. <laughs> Yes, it is. It is, um, you know, as Srila Prabhupada's disciples, you all had such an incredible role to play in, like you said, I love that image of settling different countries. And then, you know, Krishna sending your children. And while it wasn't like you, you know, like you said, maybe in a lot of ways, it wasn't ideal for, you know, for the kids. And we know, we know that there were consequences to that, but, you know, they, they have a, they had a very special role too. Yes. You know? And and now how they're carrying on what was imprinted on them, you know, the lessons learned and also the, the beautiful things that they experienced, you know, and having, you know, this, these next generations that have a very sort of innate, comfortable Krishna consciousness. Yes. Because of the way they were brought up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now you're a grandmother. I I have this, this memory of um, something I just, I read that you, that you quoted to, to a mother, a new mother. And you said, um, you know, she was, she was struggling. This was on Facebook. She was struggling with, you know, mom service, which is, which speaking for myself can be exhausting. And you said, yes, but the, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Yes. And I felt so empowered as a, as a aspiring Vaishnavi and a, and a mother that our service is so important. So important. And, 
when I look at um, devotees like you and I see, you know, I see your grandkids running around and, and curling up in your lap and the kind of um, wisdom that you have is um, invaluable for how we move forward in raising Krishna's kids. I'm just, I'm wondering if you have any reflections for us, like on, you know, now that you have, you have five children, you have six grandchildren on this experience of parenting and Krishna consciousness. Um, maybe your, your greatest takeaway from, from this experience as being a, a mother in service. What the first thing, which I think is one of the most important things is that I feel like it's very important for the mother and the father to take part in raising the children. You know, without the father's input, there's really something missing. And I think that was kind of missing with my family is that the father was quite a lot gone <laughs> traveling and, you know, distributing books. So I really think, you know, they're always talk about the, the mother, which is very important, but also the father is very important to be in their lives and showing the example for Krishna consciousness. You see in the beginning of Krishna book, Prabhupada gives all of his obeisances to his father who brought him up as a Vaishnava to worship the deity. You know, the fathers are so important in our, in our lives uh, as well as the mothers. And um, I think also just showing love and not being too hard. Like we were quite strict, you know, okay, drop a time. Come on, sit down. Chat, <laughs> uh, you're not chatting properly. You know, I mean, mm. it was so ridiculous. And I think now from a very young age that started at a very young age with the kids. Yeah. By about okay. five, they were okay. on it. Right. <laughs> okay. And I think, you know, we've got to let them grow up and there's a place for a bit of strictness when they get older, but when they're young, they have to learn to love Krishna consciousness, mm -hmm. love their parents, feel loved and nurtured at home, you know, and Krishna is just part of your life. You know, Srila Prabhupada talked about flying kites with his sister, you know, see who could get their kite the highest, you know, and things like that being kids, but, but like, Prabhupada said, they would say, Govinda, Govinda, the kite would go higher. You know, <laughs> it's like Krishna is part of the life, you know, mm. and it's a fun part. It's not that he's like some mean guy, you know, I think a lot of our Christian upbringing kind of came into Krishna consciousness to begin with. And we were all so busy working, working that we weren't as maybe loving as what we could have been with our kids. And mm. I think now I try to make it up with prasadam. You know, I try to give my kids as much prasadam, <laughs> birthdays, whatever they like, I'll cook it, whatever kind of feast, you know. Oh, I, I love that. I think it's there. Yeah, it's it's what, you know, you have to show them love. Mm -hmm. and And I feel like when any of my kids go through rough times, you know, if I know about it, I want to try to show more love because this world is a hard place to live in. And 
you know, as they get older, they start seeing the different effects that they're having to go through to try to, you know, there's all kinds of things out there pulling drugs, you know, all drinking or whatever is going sex, what whatever, you know, that's different. And there's bound to be some kind of what is that? Maybe I should try it out or, you know, especially if you have to go to school or, you know, but to be the person that doesn't change, you know, that you're Krishna conscious and they're always welcome to come home and get something to eat and, you know, talk about whatever troubles they have without us judging them or, you know, I feel like that's a really important thing that we have to learn as parents, you know, to be able to, to, you know, show love to them and just try to encourage whatever they can do Krishna consciously and, you know, not try to make some strict, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think this is, it's so beautiful to hear that. And, you know, I, from my perspective, I feel like maybe in me, there could be a tendency to define my success as a mother by how my children take to Krishna consciousness. And so I had to be, I sort of saw that even early on where, you know, I saw myself you know, um, just wanting to, to just pour it all in immediately. And then I realized what you're saying is really, I think that's what we're all looking for is love and acceptance and, um, a a feeling of home and, and a feeling of being nurtured and, um, and to let go of Val of sort of defining my own service as a mother based on a particular outcome yes because that's that's not what selfless service is about right and actually outcome funny enough is that a lot of times krishna uses our children to teach us things that we couldn't learn any other way like i have found krishna has used my children to teach me humility like anything for that very reason you're thinking, you know, everybody wants to, you know, you see those bumper stickers, my child is an A A student at such and such, you know, fancy school or whatever, you know, everybody wants to brag about their children. And for devotees, we say, oh, my, my son is the best, you know, maybe kirtan leader, or my son says Sanskrit the best, or, you know, who knows. But, you know, it's like, that's us with our false ego. But that has to be let go. And I find children are the best way to let go of that. Mm. Krishna teaches us, for me, so much through my children because you can't leave that. There's an attachment there. So you can't kind of just go, you know, if it's like somebody else staying at your house and they're doing all kinds of nonsense, you can say, okay, there's the door, hardball, you know, (laughs) bye. Mm but you can't do that with your children, you know? So, so you have to learn humility. You have to learn a bit of, of um, what is the word I'm looking for where you can, oh, tolerance, you know, to tolerate things. 
but also to give loving instruction to try to help them to see their suffering. And I know uh, one of my sons in South Africa had a car accident and uh, he he was about he was about to die there he was only three and a half years old and he got hit by a car out in the and um i remember getting the realization just standing next to his bed because i would like stay there all the time that i could and just seeing him in this condition and thinking i'm thinking this is my child it's mine you know but really he's Krishna's and whatever Krishna is wanting with him is what's going to happen. I think now, you know, they, they gave him no, they didn't think he was even going to live. They wouldn't even give him blood because he had lost blood from his ear. He had brain damage. Right. And um, they, they said, Oh, you know, he'll be blind after they did the cat scan and all he'll be blind. He'll this, he'll that you know, first, he's not even going to live, we're not going to give him blood, because blood's too, you know, precious here in South Africa. So, so I was just thinking, you know, this is Krishna, whatever he wants, you know, he's been given to us to take care of for this time on earth. But if Krishna wants to take it somewhere else, then that's his prerogative. They're not mine. You know, they're mine to look after and to take care of the best I can. But that was a strong realization. In the end, he came through. He wasn't blind and he takes care of the cows. You know, he has two children and a wife. And, you know, I think and it kept him out of having to go to non-devotee school to get involved in all kinds of things. He got initiated. He's, you know, chants Joppa. You know, I think. That was so good. He was saved from so much other stuff, you know, and he just could focus being a devotee and Krishna had other arrangements. So, you know, so many things I learned through just through having children. Even I think my last son, I was um, having so much pain. You know what it's like having babies. <laughs> it's painful. And it was uh, the first of January. And they, all the doctors were, you know, cheers and, you know, and I'm there ah, in so much pain. And I was thinking, I remember being on, like leaning on this bed and I'm all by myself and I'm looking at the, at this bed and I, I kind of saw myself lying there and I was thinking the verse from Bhagavad Gita, you know, where there's birth, there's death, you know, <laughs> and I thought, yes. It's so real, you know, where there's birth, there's going to be death and where there's death, there'll also be birth, you know, and it just kind of struck me that, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I wish I could go home and come back and pick up this baby. But because I got pregnant, I have to go through this bit also <laughs> to get this baby, right? And just like that, where there's birth in this material world, I'm also going to have to go through death. And it was just mm. such a vivid realization. And it was through having a baby, you know, I just think Krishna can use our family members and our children to teach us so many things in Krishna consciousness. But anyway. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. 
Yes. Often I, I feel, you know, I'll just be taking a walk and I'll feel that, Oh, Krishna has designed the, the Varnas and the ashrams so brilliantly (laughs) to provide us with the realizations that we need to come back to him and to learn what it means to, to serve each other, to live with each other, you know? Um, so this, um, you know, hearing about, wow, it's amazing that, um, you, you had such focused, powerful realizations during such very materially striking times, you know, seeing your child in front of you, you know, um, the, the, the overwhelming experience of, you know, anticipating loss of giving birth. And yet you're, I mean, it's just amazing how Krishna blesses us, Yes, you know, in your case, because of so much focused attention on, on, um, trying to serve him. Yeah. I don't think, you know, another experience. Do you mind if I tell you, please, please. Um, when my three and a half year old had his accident, I was like in the hospital all the time. And at that time I had my youngest one who was just like four weeks, no, eight weeks old. And they wouldn't let me keep him in with, with a Kirtan in with Madhu because he was intensive care. Right. So I had to keep putting him up in the nursery and then coming down and going back up and get, anyway, it was like, such a struggle. And I remember it was, it was kind of like to get rounds done was just, and I had three other kids at home, you know, and it was just, I I was thinking, I just can't do this. I don't know how I can keep doing this. You know, I chance I'm here, chance I'm there. And it was getting so difficult. And then he got, we ended up getting enough liquid into him because he was kind of in a coma, but they said I could take him home if I could keep getting a certain amount of liquid into his body. And so um, finally, when I could get it, I think it was two liters a day. When, when I could do that, then they let me take him home. So then it, it was still difficult, but, you know, at least you were at home. So then I remember at one point, I just was not getting all my japa done and I was feeling bad, but um, Krishna gave me this dream. He, he, Srila Prabhupada came to me in a dream and he, he said, um, we were in an auditorium and um, we were going, Srila Prabhupada was going to see a drama the devotees were going to put on. So we were walking into the auditorium and I was kind of right behind Srila Prabhupada and there were some sannyasis and his servant there. And I was trying to figure out where can I sit where I can see the drama, but also see Srila Prabhupada's face. And, you know, so so I was calculating. And so I saw this spot and a friend of mine was there. So I started to try to go around and Srila Prabhupada put his hand up to stop me. And I thought, couldn't be talking to me. I was like looking around. Who's he talking to? And I, I didn't see anyone, but I thought it couldn't. So I tried again and again, he put up his hand to stop. So then I was thinking, must be me, but I I don't know why he wouldn't want me to go around. I'm not disturbing. So I tried once more 
And he put his hand up and he said to me, if you do not chant all your 16 rounds, you will become very hard hearted. And he said that to me three times. And when I woke up, I thought, okay, that's it. I, you know, he understood I was struggling like anything, but now I've got to get back onto it, you know? And so then from that time, I just, that was my priority to get these rounds done. Even when it was almost seeming impossible, I would just stay up wow. long enough to get them done because it was a direct order, you know? So anyway, that was. Wow. I feel like it's so helpful to hear that. Um, you know, for people to hear that because it is a, it, sometimes it is mystifying. How do devotees who are raising multiple children, doing service, taking care of a household, completing their rounds, but also what you're saying, like what, what Srila Prabhupada said, because you'll become very hard hearted. It's not that, that that's such a compassionate reason to encourage someone to chant because we we want to be soft-hearted we want we don't want to become hardened by the laboriousness sort of sort of of like the material energy right yeah yeah so actually it's it's like a it's like an order for self-care and that's what chanting really is but um i think maybe in the in the thick of it we can forget that maybe yes yes yeah, wow. yeah very powerful Prabhupada coming to remind me, no, you've got to keep going. You've got to, this is important. And, and I think, you know, even at the time of death, who knows what sort of situation we're going to be in. And we have to remember Krishna. So practicing in whatever situation we're in is really important. You know, that's our most important thing to do. The rest is just kind of super floss filling up, you know, but that is so important. And it is a struggle when you have children and yeah, but anyway, I thought I'd share that also. <laughs> Thank you so much yes. for sharing it. I want to talk about your life on the land and I'm, <laughs> I'm loving that, um, we're kind of piecing together from the very beginning that you lived outside of the city, you had animals, you started growing food in your neighbor's backyard. It seemed like you were primed for this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we know that this was basically you and Adi Karta Prabhu have created a life, a legacy um, for Srila Prabhupada's desire to serve cows and to serve the land. And I, I, I just kind of, I wanted to share this with you. Um, this last Kartik, when we were making our ghee candles, mm -hmm. this image came to me, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm using ghee that I purchased and, you know, cotton balls that I purchased. And we have our Tulsi sticks from our Tulsi plants. And I was thinking that, you know, what does it mean when I'm offering the, the, the ghee wick candle to Krishna? And it's, it's a beautiful um, exchange. However, you came to mind because I was thinking that 
what, what really traditionally goes on is that cows are being taken care of on land by people who have to devote so much of their life to their protection, to giving them love, and then to milking them. And then that milk is processed into yogurt and then to butter and then boiled down to ghee. And then that ghee is used to dip candles and you can grow your own cotton. And that's how things were done. And then you use your Tulsi stick. So there is so much relationship happening there that involves your life. It involves your physical life, your mental life, your emotional life, your spiritual intention. And so it really feels for me, it feels like there are missing pieces and you are directly involved in that full circuit. And so I, my, my question, my first question to you is what happened to make you get your first cow, you know, Mm -hmm. to decide that you wanted land and a first cow. And so we'll start there and then, and then I have a couple more questions. Okay. Um, Actually, we were living in Mayapur at the time. Well, my husband was in America because he was thinking to maybe move us there. But um, one of my sons was in the Mayapur Gurukula. And so I was living there with the other kids. And and uh, I was walking through. They were just building Srila Prabhupada's um, Samadhi there. And I was walking through there to go to the temple. And I suddenly had this vision of myself milking a cow. It was so vivid. It was amazing. I even had to stop for a minute to like, what? You know, it was like, what? And um, I thought, had you milked a cow before? No. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. And so then I kind of went, wow, is this what Prabhupada wants us to do? You know, like milking cows. I've been around, I had an uncle, well, a great uncle who had a dairy. I think he was in Wisconsin or somewhere. And we visited once and I was thinking, oh, this would be fantastic to have a cow. But that was it. And I was young then, you know, I was probably about eight or nine or something. So then I thought, wow, maybe. And within a year, we had moved to North Carolina and my husband had been on Sagaton in um, um, Asheville and he was in his little van sleeping. And when he woke up, he looked and there was this dairy there with all these Jersey cows. And he, 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 he went there and asked him about, you know, do you sell cows? Cause we had a little bit of acreage and we were building a house and, and a barn And the man said, no, I don't normally sell them, but, you know, I guess I could make an exception. And we went there and my husband came home and he goes, we got to go and look, you know, he's going to tell us when this cow that he thinks might be good for us is going to be giving birth. And then, so he called us and we went there to look at these cows and um, all the cows were in a pen to get milked. Right. And we went up. The, the farmer said, now she's in here somewhere. And all the cows moved back like here. <laughs> and this one comes mm-hmm. forward. And the man said, the farmer goes, well, that's the one. 
I can't believe that. Oh, wow. <laughs> forward and I thought, okay. Wow. So then he said, well, she just had a bull calf. If you want him, I'll throw him in, you know, for the same price. And we said, yeah, we'll take both, you know, of course. So he brought him and that was in, let me see, I wrote it down. 1995, we got our first cow. And you were, oh, we were in North Carolina. I had the pleasure of, you were in North Carolina. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Jamuna changed my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with her, with her milk products. She truly did. Yes. She gave wow. it. Okay. Milk. But so then we didn't know anything about milking and we got this cow in, you know, and we just started dealing with it. And first it was my son and I milking Katernath and I'm milking all the time. And, um, and then afterwards we got a couple of Bakhtas came and lived and then we all took turns milking and she was like really easy going. So it was, except for when she'd kick the bucket over, but other, <laughs> other, <laughs> uh, but yeah. And then since then we pretty much always had cows. Now we have 16 cows. One of them's a bull. Uh, we have two young females that are just like just a year and six, one, six months and one's about a year. Um, which is nice because then they can take over for the older cows, mm. you know, giving milk. And we supply a lot of devotees in this community with milk, I think. And funny you were saying about the ghee. I uh, my husband and I dress Krishna Balaram on Wednesdays and um, we use the ghee that I make for putting ghee all over Krishna and Balaram's bodies. And, you know, and it's, it is such a nice thing. It, you know, like I also bring, we bring all the dairy products for all the Abhishek's, right. And just to see the milk and yogurt, being poured all over their forms and you know where it came from and which cows are giving. I remember one time I said, Kalindi, mm -hmm. this milk is going to bake Krishna Balaram. It's Krishna's birthday today. So give a lot of nice milk. And she did give more milk, you know, they're persons. And they, wow. yeah. <laughs> I remember one Gujarati lady saying to me, the cows are your mother. And they know you whisper in their ears when you need something and they they'll give, they help you to get whatever it is you need. But that was like a far out thing that she just gave extra milk that day for me to take for bathing the deities. But, you know, so seeing that it is nice, you know, and Prabhupada said, there's no such thing. There's no Brahminical culture without cow protection. It's a, it's a must. So I think it's a, an important thing in a community to have cow protection going on. And we've done it for so many years. And, you know, it's hard work in the sense that not maybe physically, but the fact that you have to be there every morning and every night and you have to do something with the milk constantly. You have to, you know, if you've got wow, too much, right. you have to make yogurt or you have to make you know, butter, like I just made butter today, you know, to do you, I was curious. I, I remember coming over and we were able to churn butter. You had like a, like a wooden butter churn. Is that how you churn all your butter or do you That's blend? What I was doing before, but it was getting really difficult, like 
churning it with my hand. And uh, my son-in-law got this, uh, it's like a paint stirrer <laughs> with a drill. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like an actual paint stirrer. That's what I do. I mean, even today, it took me about an hour, I guess an hour of, with a drill. What to speak of if you're doing it by hand, it's like, it can be so, and I'm well, getting too old. Give us, give us, give us a window into that. You know, um, how long does it take to, you know, process some of these products? How many devotees are you, are you, are you serving right now with the product? Okay. Like- so I guess every week I right now, cause we have three cows milking. And, um, so we have a fair amount of milk. I think we're getting about almost 10 gallons a day, nine to 10 gallons a day. So if there's, I, I start off putting the milk in and then if I have some left by the next time we're milking, I move it down in the fridge. And so if it's down mm. and nobody's come to get, and there's still, there's the new, then I'll take that in to process it into something else. So uh, first I'll make yogurt because a lot of devotees love the yogurt. So I'll make yogurt first. And I usually do that at three gallons at a time. And then if there's some, and I have two, three gallon pots full of yogurt already, I'll do curd if I have extra. Yeah, Cause that you can freeze as well if nobody needs curd, but I have a few people that'll take curd no matter what. And then the, I, I take, um, right. Like I'll put all the fresh milk into a big pot, a five gallon pot, and we stick it in the freezer and in the barn. And then, um, by the next milking, I'll take it out and all the cream has come to the top mainly. So I'll scoop a little bit of that off and then I'll stir the rest in. And I put that in a tiffin, like a gallon tiffin that I have. And I'll put that back in the fridge. And as soon as that's full, of that tiffin of cream, then I'll bring it in and I'll make that into like a yogurt. I'll bring it up to almost a boil, not quite. And then cool it down and turn it into yogurt. And that makes like sour cream. It tastes just like a really good sour cream. But then mm. then you cool that and then I make that into um, butter. And then you have buttermilk and butter. And I make the deities uh, at the temple all their rascoulas. I've been doing that for, I guess, about 18 years now. <laughs> and I, um, so I- That's use- their offering every day? They're offered yeah, they the rascoulas every day? Time they get every day, but I make it once a week. So I use our milk and I use our buttermilk to turn the, the uh, curd to make that, those rascoulas. And so it's a constant- there's always something to do. And, you know, and the butter after it turns, um, you take it and you separate the butter from the buttermilk. And then you have to wash the butter real good with clean water to get all the, otherwise it'll go rancid fast if it still has the buttermilk stuck in it. So you wash that with clean water and then you um, um, put I always put a little bit of salt in there and then, then I make it into, you know, like blocks of like a pound or a little more and wrap it up and put it in the fridge or the freezer, depending on, 
And then when I have a certain amount, then I'll make that into ghee. And then I'll use what I what we need for butter also. And Madhu um, is does milking every milking time. We milk two at a time, like we take two sides so we can finish quicker. So I give half the butter to them and I keep half the butter for us. And then we make ghee and yeah, use butter and yeah. It's it's quite a lot of work. But it's a nice work, you know. Someone said to me the other day, "You always smell like milk or cows." <laughs> and at first, I thought, what? <laughs> "Anyway, that's nice." <laughs> and, and thank I you. I had, guess <laughs> someone said to me once, actually, a couple of people. Oh, we never milked the cows. We always hired someone to milk the cows. Like it was something beneath us. I said, oh, that's funny. Krishna always milked the cows. And so mm. did the gopis. And then she, they both, okay. You know, that's true. I was like, oh, okay. It's not a low-class well, job. It's, it's actually amazing. And they're amazing living entities, the cows. Anyway. I mean, so... So that right there is so striking to me is that, you know, you are, that's being revealed, right? That these, your cows have different personalities, right? Totally. Your, your cows are, they, they, they rely on you. They, they know you, you know them. Um, just real quick, what, it, it, first of all, you said, you know, when you were talking about the beginning and how you had no idea what you were doing or what you're going to do, it's almost impossible to imagine you not knowing what you're doing with cows and also envisioning basically oceans of dairy products and just like swimming in them and how this is to me, this is opulence. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. And is it, so for your cows who aren't milking, how intensive is your work with them? Is it pretty easy to have cows that aren't milking or is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a matter of making sure they have food to eat. So in the winter, like right now, there's no grass. It's all brown. So we have to make sure there's enough hay year round for them. You know, make sure they have shelter. Keep an eye on to make sure nobody's getting too ill. Or we had one ox. He was our best oxen. And he had, his mother had a hip problem, which funny enough, Ram, my son-in-law, massaged her hip and got it to work okay again. Like, because wow. he's a massage therapist, right? <laughs> and so, but then wow. the son developed that when he got a bit older, the same hip problem. And it didn't seem to be getting better with massage or anything. He, he had a problem. And um, so towards the end of his life, he kind of, we kept watching him. We got a vet to come out. She tried to do some acupuncture and stuff to try to help it, but it, it kind of got a bit better, but then he tripped over a tree. He went into the forest and mm -hmm. tripped over and then he just didn't get up. And it was quite amazing that I could, we kind of made a shelter for him, you know, like a tent thing. And we put all, um, hay around him and we made sure he had something to eat. We put on a Prabhupada, you know, those Prabhupada that keep going and going. The boxes? Yes, for him to listen to. 
But every time I went down there, I cried so much for him. It was like one of my kids or something, right? And I just kept thinking of all the service he'd done. You know, he'd done so much. He didn't milk, but he helped with like farming. You know, he helped with like all the cows. They give their their um, cow dung, you know, and our mm. Tulsis grow so nice with cow dung, you know, and I've been when they pass cow dung when they're milking, I've been putting it on the walls inside the barn and then taking it off when it dries and putting on more. And it's good for fuel. It's good for, you know, fertilization. So even though maybe they're not um, milking, which everybody seems to think that's the most important and it is important, but, you know, even just the bulls doing their part in the service and, and also the cow dung, all the old cows, all of them give cow dung. And it's one man who comes and he um, buries our cows for us, right? And he said, you guys have the best land. It's so, so good. Your mm, grass is amazing. Rich. Your fields are so good. I, he said, what do you put on there? I said, cow dung. He goes, yeah, but what else? I said, no, it's only cow dung. That's it. He goes, wow. You know, and that's the opulence of the cows are like, there's nothing like them. You know, they, and they just serve and serve. I remember once, um, I forget who it was telling me that, oh, Madri, she told me that Srila Prabhupada told them that the cows will show you how to raise children. The way they mother their children, you'll see also how to do your... You know, and I see that they, you know, the calves are there biffing them and doing all kinds of things. <laughs> and they're still like tolerating, you know, whatever they're doing, <laughs> still licking them and loving them. And, you know, it's like, it's so, it's so wonderful, you know, so they're so important in a community or in a society to have that example of the cows. And when we first moved down here from up in North Carolina, we had to leave our cows there to begin with. And someone else was looking after them while we tried to find somewhere that we could have them down here. I felt so poor. There was no milk, no ghee, mm. no butter. You know, you had to go and buy it from the shop. And it really isn't the same at all. It's kind of after drinking this milk all the time, it's like water or something, you know, it's, <laughs> It's just not the same at all. Right. But so it was like, I could see, yeah, this is real wealth. This is, and I often mm. wonder if anything happened, you could just drink cow's milk and survive if you had mm. to for a while. You know what I mean? It was just, they give you everything. And anyway, they're amazing living entities, definitely. And they definitely each have their own, uh, personalities <laughs> yeah if you I'm curious actually if you could describe in one word like four or five of your cows personalities so like four or five words that describe their different personalities okay I would say Jamuna was bossy she was the boss she would boss you around she was bossy <laughs> um Kalindi is very motherly she's like she'll tolerate whatever. And she's a very motherly. Um, and Boomy 
who we got later in life. She came to us when she was already 10 years old. She's greedy. She's always wanting more to eat. She's always trying to get into everything. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. So that's a, yeah, I would say. <laughs> Do you, I, I'm relishing like how you're, how you light up when you're talking about these things. And I feel like that is what I hope. I hope that I feel that way about my service as my service sort of unfolds in my life. Do you, do you feel, I mean, you already expressed that you shared this dream that you had where you had never, ever milked a cow before. And here you had this vision. Um, Do you feel like this, um, this is, this is your inclination. This is sort of like how much of it is commitment and austerity and, you know, something that this is something that Srila Prabhupada wanted. So we're doing it or, and, and how much of it is bringing just joy and um, feels like just the perfect fit, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think, I don't really think of it. I mean, when it's really freezing cold and you're getting ready to go out there and you're putting lots of layers on because you're going to be freezing out there for an hour or so, you know, it's an austerity. So it's a commitment. Okay. I'm going to go because you can't not do it. Right. It would make them sick if they didn't get milked. You even, know, more. One, even one milking session, they cannot miss it. Well, it gives them mastitis. It's right. kind of like a mother. If she didn't breastfeed her children for a long time, she could get that um, milk fever, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mastitis. They call it mastitis for them also. So you have to be regulated for them. They're waiting for you when it's time to milk. They're, they know instinctively, okay, it's time to milk. You milk that time. Every, you, can, you can give like maybe an hour either way but you can't like just leave it unless they're down to not giving much milk at all. Then you can start leaving one milking or something. But um, what was, what were we, what was I saying? I lost track. (laughs) We were talking about how much of it is a commitment and how much of it is joyfully, you know, but I, I think it's pretty, it's pretty joyfully. I don't feel like when I go out usually that, oh no, I've got to go unless it's really hot or really cold. But then I think, well, they're having to stand out there all the time in that. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? So what is me going out for an hour to, you know, brush them and feed them and milk them? You know, what is that? That's, that's nothing. And I would far rather do those austerities and live with the cows than not. Hmm. I think it's a blessing. I feel like they're a blessing for our family. Definitely. And even when sometimes I might think, why did we choose this? This is quite an in-depth, you know, so many years of doing this. But when I really think about it, I think, no, this isn't bad. This is actually a blessing, you know? That, that Prabhupada inspired my husband to get the fir- first cow and inspired us to just keep going, doing this. I mean, how many people get such nectar? You know, right. very rare. 
And I even had one devotee from, from India. He used to get milk off of us all the time. He was working in Tampa or somewhere and used to come to the temple and call us and say, can, can I get a gallon? And he said to me, you can't even get milk like this in India. They always put water in it. <laughs> grandmother used to say, if it was a festival, less water, less potty. <laughs> it's festival. And I think, yeah, you know, we have the best. You know, you can't get such liquid religiosity anywhere. And the ghee, it is like liquid gold. It's just amazing, you know. Anyway, it's, yeah, the cows are incredible. It, I, I feel like it is, it is my service and it is joyfully performed most of the time, I, I must say. I love my deity service and all, but I also love the cow service. It's, it's one. And to be able, when someone comes to your home, you have such wonderful things to offer them, you know, like yes. Burphy, you know. People come just to get the burpee, you know. <laughs> Can I get some burpee? <laughs> you know, it's the kids will come. My granddaughter will bring them over. Can we all have burpee, please? <laughs> you know? So it's 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 wonderful. It is. Anyway, I feel blessed. <laughs> Thank you so much for for yes. sharing your heart in this, and also just you know, enabling this community to really come to life in that way of taking care of the cows. And I, you know, you were saying you love your DD service with the cow service. I mean, they're really so connected. It, it just feels yes. the way you're describing, it just feels almost like you can't separate at least my experience of Alachua. I can't separate what you're doing with Shishi Radha Sham Sundar. Um, no. Yeah. Even I think the other day they said, you know, we're, we don't have any cows at the farm anymore giving milk. So could you make sure that the deities at least get some of your milk for their morning milk? And, you know, mm-hmm. so even thinking like that, look in their fridge, do they have a gallon of milk from us? You know, it's right. yeah, you're you're serving them the same as well as dressing them and bathing them with ghee and yogurt. Yeah, it's it's an important part of any society. And yeah, I feel blessed to be able to take part in that with our whole family. It's, it's definitely a blessing. I wanted to share with our listeners that, um, and with you that, um, when I came to Krishna consciousness, you know, my parents were, were worried and my dad was accepting, but you know, I remember having a conversation with him where he said, you know, I think I'm meant to do something special with my life. And he said, honey, I just want you to do something. (laughs) But he was worried, you know, he was just worried. And, um, when I, um, when I was living in Alachua for a few months, he came and stayed with you and he remembers exactly what he ate. He had homemade homegrown cucumber subji with homemade paneer and he had homegrown corn fried in homegrown ghee and he had homemade ice cream and he still he still talks about that experience he spent the night with you and he says you know um 
Adikarta and Ruchira are so, their lifestyle is, is just um, profoundly simple, yet comforting, like to the spirit. Mm. Oh, that's and nice. he's just, he was just so touched that he still asks about you and talks about you. And now that was 10 years ago, tw- 12, 12 years ago, no, 14 years ago. Wow. Something like that. So, um, thank you for what you do for our community. The impact is I'm sure, you know, more than we do, how wide it goes, how many people that you have fed and that you've, um, inspired by your service. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Is there, is there, this has been such a wonderful, uh, delightful, experience. Um, and I'm wondering if you, if there's anything else that you would like to share, any thoughts that you have that you can impart. Keep chanting those rounds. <laughs> That's my main thing. Keep following Prabhupada's instructions and chanting those 16 rounds, at least. I think for me, that's been the guiding that's kept me on the rails my whole and do service, you know, try to do service, whatever it is, bringing up your children, trying to impart things to your kids, feeding others, feeding your family, deity seva, book distribution, whatever it is, try to take part in our movement, you know, to spread it and to help others that are here now. And, you know, I think try to learn from others and be humble but chant, <laughs> I think that's, those are, that's kind of what I follow and try to do the humility bit. I'm not so great at, but I'm trying. <laughs> I am trying. Krishna's very good at smashing here and there, you know, <laughs> to show me, but I'm a bit hardheaded still, even as a child and still. <laughs> Well, I won't forget what you, what you shared, um, chant your 16 rounds or you will become hard hearted. Yes. 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 Wow. Thank you for your example, mother Achira. Thank you for, Thank you. for Thank doing you this with for, us. <laughs> Thank you. I was really scared to do it, but actually it was a pleasure. <laughs> See you. everyone out there who's afraid that we're coming after you. See, it's scary leading up to it. And then it, it winds up being a bit of fun. I think it's kind of like giving class. I'm like that before I give class. I'm always like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? What am I? And then once you finish it just kind of starts coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> okay Hare Krishna everyone thank you thank you so so much for joining us with Mother Achira tonight and um, Mother Achira thank you for being with us thank you Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Jai Adiva Adiva